Well, the students at Hogwarts are sorted into houses according to Whatever that shifty sorting hat says they ought to do I asked Dumbledore if I could be sorted He said sorry Bartlett But I could get reported to the Ministry of Magic for incorrect procedure You're not a wizard, you're The President of the United States of America Hello and welcome to Sorted. I'm Bethany. And I'm John. And this is not a Harry Potter podcast, but instead a podcast about everything else viewed through the lens of Harry Potter. Harry Potter is inherently flawed and sorting even more so, but it's still fun to look at characters in this way. So, that's out of the way. You're probably wondering why I, JD, no longer have an English accent. You've been cured. It is because I am well, not, in fact, rude. JD, and this is what? not, in fact, Alex. <laughs> in fact, you probably realized that already because we introduced ourselves with our actual wow. names. We're John and Bethany. We host a podcast called Home Viewing. That's a podcast where we watch all the movies that we own and uh, discuss them from A to Z. And we have... Or Z for our English friends. Exactly. Alex and JD have been kidnapped and... Forced to watch all of Back to the Future. All three all three movies. We did not force them to do Actually, that. Actually, in fact, they chose to watch those three movies. We the, said one movie. The, the kidnapping is very real. What? The kidnapping is very real. You've kidnapped I, them? I, I have kidnapped them. Where are they? Because I wanted to take over their show. You did? I did, just for this one episode. Two shows wasn't enough. You needed three? <laughs> exactly. I'm also, on, I'm also on them's the facts, but we can talk about that They're later. They're fine. Now... I've already introduced myself, and listeners probably know me if they listen to the Yuri on Ice episode. I'm a big pop culture head, but the person who hasn't been on the show before is my wife, Bethany. That's me. Yes, and I guess just so that you know where we stand, Bethany has been a Harry Potter fan for longer than me, I think. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like elementary school. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure she knew her house before I knew mine, for sure. There's my house, and then there's, like, the ideal of what you think your house will should or would be as you live your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I thought I was a Ravenclaw in high school, thought I was a, <laughs> gr- um, thought I was a Hufflepuff in college. Now I think I, like... You are a Hufflepuff. I think I lean Gryffindor. No. no. Either Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff, but definitely Hufflepuff. <laughs> The more I, th- I don't know. No, I'm still you're pretty so sure into like people and caring about people, and like. But I'm also into helping Duke. people. Yeah, and being... that's not Gryffindor. Gryffindor is a go team go. Hoof, hoof, hoof. I would argue. You see, Gryffindor's the. I th- I like Gryffindor. Jocks. I like the Gryffindor can like... be the. Okay, jocks. we all wanted to be Gryffindor because Gryffindor has the lion. It's the best. It's the best mascot, hands down. Okay, so with that in mind, what are you? If we're being the most honest, Ravenclaw. Yeah, I, I agree. I think based you're on the quizzes that I've taken and based on the way that you live your life and the pursuits that you have in yeah. your life, I think you're a Ravenclaw. But like, apparently, I'm a Slytherclaw according to the internet. Mm, I just don't know. I don't think I'm ambitious enough. I, I'm a Gryffindor. Yeah. I, let's yeah, let's Griffin. be honest. If if we're actually doing hybrid houses, I'm a Gryffindor. <laughs> I I wanted this show. <laughs> 
Because I wanted to discuss one of my favorite television shows of all time. Not the best television show Battlestar Galactica. No. Oh. Though that has been the one we've been watching lately. I love TV. I love movies. I've written about TV for like academic textbooks. Well, unacademic. Okay. Let's be clear. <laughs> I've written about a TV show for an academic textbook. But still. it's Who's what- counting? Me. I'm counting. And the, the world. The world is also the counting. The world? Yeah. It's not like I've got... Oh, no. I don't want to look at my Google Scholar page because it probably doesn't exist because I doubt anyone has actually cited my Is that work. like Wikipedia where someone else has to make it? Uh, kind of. Google's... Listen, we're, we're, we're sidetracking. We're sidetracking right now. Let's do what we're here to do. And what we're here to do is sort the West Wing. Yay! Applause. No, you're already going to add that in. Listen, you can't talk about the West Wing without talking about the theme, which... Uh, iconic. I'm just going to say WG Snuffy Walden right now. I'm going to say he's a Gryffindor. Is that his... That's his name? Snuffy. Snuffy? Yeah. That's what the composer Short goes by. Snuffleupagus? Exactly. The West Wing is a television series that I debuted, I believe, in 1999 and uh, ran for seven seasons. It was created by Aaron Sorkin who before this had done, well, I think he'd worked on a ER some, but I think his most notable work was A Few Good Men, the play, the Broadway play that was then adapted into the movie starring Tom Cruise and oh, Jack Nicholson. Well, he just made the movie, right? He didn't make the play. No, he wrote the play. Oh. Yeah. He's, wow. Exactly. He wrote the play. A talented man. He is the reason that we have You Can't Handle the Truth as part of our cultural lexicon. He's kind of a big deal. He's also... Got a very, very distinctive style of writing and style of storytelling that is very often and easily parodied. Yeah. They're, I mean, they parody it in 30 Rock because there's an episode where he actually guests about the death of writers. They're, <laughs> they parody it in Parks and Rec because there's an episode where... Well, first of all, Rob Lowe is on this show and Parks and Rec. And then there's an episode where Bradley Whitford, who is arguably the best character on this show... Um, Shows up on Parks and Rec as well. What? Hmm. He's my favorite. Well. Shall we? I mean, well, what is the West Wing? How would you describe the West Wing to the uninitiated? It's it's a show about the White House and how people wish it was. That's actually a really accurate description. <laughs> people talk a lot about it being this, and I use liberal in the American sense, liberal fantasy. Like, it's, it's a world where everyone, like, is trying their best to do their best. And when people are nakedly or openly ambitious and aren't really there for serving their country, they kind of get what's coming to them, you know? Yeah, and there's no Big Macs. Mm. <laughs> I will say, the, the, the way that it works, I think a lot of people view it as escapist. And it's escapist politically, but as far as what these characters are forced to go through... On a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's it's shocking, honestly. And it's probably a little overkill. A little overkill. He is... I mean, you are thinking... The, the pedigree of this show is taken largely from ER. Like, a lot of the production staff, directors, etc. Are coming from that kind of TV show where they're like, Oh, drama is what moves it forward. So, like, there's a lot of personal struggle in addition to all the political struggle. There's... It's very human. I think. Yeah. All the struggles they have are very human and 
it does this thing that Sorkin does in a lot of his work where he has characters arguing both sides of an issue that he's interested in, really. And it's Yeah, I love that like all sides of the argument type of deal. And you don't always you aren't always able to figure out what side Sorkin himself is on. And I think mm-hmm. it, it it maybe pushes a kind of neoliberal agenda, which which is something I've talked about in movies on our podcast. But yeah. at the same time, I think genuinely it's a show about how we wish America was and how America has failed to be lately. So, All right. Well, let's start our walk and talk. Let's start our walk and talk. By rating. Wait, sorting. Sorting. We rate on our show. We don't... We could rate and sort. Okay. Did you stop it? We, um... Ordered the characters in order, uh, the main characters that we're going to sort in order of their appearance on the show. The great pilot, it's available on US Netflix at least. I think it's great. I think I you should watch it. I there's different Netflix. Yeah, different different availability and rights by like different that. countries. I think it's worth watching. The first character that we see in this first episode is a man named Sam Seaborn. Gosh, I can't believe that's the first one. Yeah. I think it's introduced by him, like, ordering scotch. Like, either oh, him the, or the guy he's with. Bar, yeah. At the bar, yeah. Um, Sam Seaborn is a deputy communications director to the president in the West Wing. He's basically a speechwriter. He's played by noted member of the Brat Pack, Rob Lowe. Brat Pack? Yeah, it's the group of actors who started John Hughes movies in the 80s. Did he? Yeah, he was in at least one of them. Oh, how He's old is he? Older than you think. Apparently. Yes. Uh, Rob Lowe, notable to a lot of people for his role in Parks and Rec as Chris Traeger. Sam Seaborn is Chris Traeger 20 years earlier, basically. Basically. <laughs> or I guess 15, more accurately. But he is all happy-go-lucky. Like, oh yeah, he gets mad sometimes. But like but he's not like Chris Traeger sunshine all the time. Yeah. But he has moods in this one. He absolutely has moods because every single character is dynamic in this show with one notable exception which we'll get to later. But he is I think probably the biggest optimist on the staff. He's yeah. the one who like wants to like swing for the fences a lot of the time. Like I feel like one that's pretty notable is later on when a certain character has been um injured by white supremacist shooters he says something along the lines of the way to get do this you know what sue the kkk you can do it you'll win essentially like he's an ideas guy more than anything almost and he i think he's the one who i i don't want to say they're all like in person not in pursuit of ideological purity because i think they are but i think sam is the one who's like most willing to maybe ignore reality in favor of like going for mm. the higher road you I know. know i know which house he belongs to then you know which house he belongs to i i, I mean i feel like there's more to talk about with him he has a, a about like his relationships with the other people i feel like sam is everybody's friend almost mm. except yeah. for maybe leo at first, but only because they just need some rivalry there for the conflict's sake. But he never becomes, like, buddy-buddy like I feel like Josh does. Like, I everyone loves Josh. Except with Josh, I think. I think he and Josh are definitely the closest at the beginning of the show. Yeah, because they have the most similar, like, life path, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think even though he, uh, him and 
Toby, who's the who's another speechwriter who we'll discuss later. I think he and Toby are like I don't even want to say frenemies, but they're like they butt heads. They they're best friends who butt heads all the time because they're forced to work together. And I because Toby thinks that Sam is not as good of a writer as he but is. That's also why this is like an idealist like setting where everyone's pushing and you know making each other better like when in reality i'm sure that's not really the setup well Um, not now anyway (laughs) sam can be petty as we have seen but he also is very good at recognizing when he's wrong and turning maybe his guns on who on who needs to have them turned on like i like i think about the episode where Ainsley is in, uh, first starts working at the White House a lot, where at first he just wants to antagonize her because he, she's a Republican. But then, by the end, he realizes that the guys working for him have just straight up been bullying her. Just straight up, fi- and he just fires them. Yeah, that's a great moment. It is a great moment. I think every single character gets a moment of righteous fury at some point in the run of the yeah. show. And it's very good to see because Sorkin writes those speeches very well. I honestly think that Sam kind of may be the Sorkin self-insert. There's, I have nothing to back this up. You don't think Josh? Have, no, because Sam's the writer. Or Toby? Sam's the writer. Oh. And, it, has, it has to be and quite he's, literal. And huh? he's from California, which I'm... Oh. I might be wrong. Is he? I don't think he is. I don't remember. Oh. I'm making stuff up completely right now. <laughs> but it just fits in my worldview a little bit. Okay. Sam notably left the show because Rob Lowe didn't think he was big enough of a star. Which is a thing that I'm pretty like. sure happened on Parks and Rec too. But that confirms which house I'm thinking. Which house are you thinking? Gryffindor. Ooh, I'm with you on that. This is going to be a pretty Gryffindor and Ravenclaw heavy episode. Yeah, yeah. Just because of the nature of this TV show. Alright, who's next? Who's next? Let's talk about my man, Leo. Leo McGarry. Leo. Who, who our cat is kind of named after. Yes. Um, Leo McGarry is, well, Bartlett's everybody's dad, but Leo is like everybody's. Grandpa? Yeah. He old. Oldish. Old enough that he, the actor, that John Spencer, the actor playing him, did die in the run of the show. Painful. Yeah. Leo is an old hand. He's apparently used to be the Secretary of Commerce. He is a pretty brilliant political mind. And he is the Chief of Staff of the White House. The Chief of Staff is basically the second most powerful person in the White House. And he, he controls access to the president. He controls the I president's would, agenda. I would almost argue in this TV show, Leo is the most powerful person. <laughs> because he's the one who decides what goes to Bartlett and what doesn't. Yeah. He's like the wall between Bartlett and everybody. Mm-hmm. And he also really is the person who, other than the president, sets the agenda at the White House. Which you see in the wonderful, wonderful Big Block of Cheese Day episode. Leo Leo is of the belief that they need to be doing everything they can for the American people. And because of that, the American people should have access to them. Which is why once a month he has a, a day where every interest group that they can think of can come and get heard at the White House. Oh, man. Some of them are bonkers. Some of them are wonderful. <laughs> and that's how you end up with a very young Nick Offerman on an episode of The West Wing. Gosh. 
didn't even have a beard or no, a mustache. it was strange. It was really weird. Leo, um, Leo has a tragic backstory because of course he does. Does he? Yeah, he is a recovering alcoholic and oh, drug addict. Like, yeah. <laughs> we just Me rewatched the first season. Really sets the bar high for tragic backstory. <laughs> oh. Oof. Oof. Um, he divorces his his wife divorces him in the first season. Yeah, that kind was... of unfairly. Oh yeah. And Arguably, Sorkin's not the best writer of women. Sorkin mm. Yeah, there's a joke about that in 30 Rock. I write women well when the story calls for it. Yeah. Because yeah. CJ is... Well... Sometimes. Spoilers. <laughs> spoilers in our list. Leo, um... Leo is a... He's a veteran. And you can see that some, sometimes because he uh, maybe has a better understanding of the military than Bartlett does sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But in a way, he's also more in favor of using a military option than Bartlett is sometimes. You see that when he's so gung-ho on mil- on missile defense, even though, as Bartlett says, they've never actually gotten it to work. Um, Leo, I think his closest relationship in the White House is other than Bartlett, because they're best friends. They're well-established as best friends. Like, Bartlett even literally describes him as his best friend on oh, multiple occasions. But... Um, yes, they're so close. It's perfect. When they fight, it's devastating. It's like watching your parents fight. It's the worst. <laughs> um, Leo, I, my instinct on Leo is also Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Exactly. <laughs> because he fights for what he cares about. He protects the people he cares about. But what he cares about the most, more than anything, is like, the American people. I think maybe he leans Hufflepuff sometimes because mm. he's a lot about loyalty. That's Gryffindor. Loyalty is Hufflepuff. Loyalty what? is primarily a Hufflepuff trait. Then what is the Gryffindor trait? The Gryffindor trait is courage. And I think that the courage that Leo demonstrates by rather than rather than resigning by leaning in and you know, taking on these institutions, I think that there's a lot of courage there. I think he's a Gryffindor. The next person introduced is C.J. Craig. C.J. who... Best character in the show. Hot take. I don't think that's even that hot of a take. There is an Atlantic article that ranked every single character in the West Wing. And C.J. is at the top of the list. What number? Number one. She's number one. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, I thought... Out of 114 oh, characters in the West Wing. I know Wing, the one I was mad about. Yes, Josh. We'll talk about her yes. later. <laughs> CJ is number one of 114 characters listed in the West Wing. Yeah, this might be a long episode, y'all. Um, she... Yep, we're doing all 114, right? All of them. She is the press secretary. So, what does that mean? She's the reporter. <laughs> Not exactly. She, she deals she with the She does reporters. the morning announcements. That's actually a really apt analogy. <laughs> CJ is the public face of the White House, essentially. Um, she So where Leo controls like access to the president from the point of view of government officials, CJ controls access to the president from the press. Um, she, Which is arguably more important. <laughs> she technically works under um, Toby 
as part of the communications department. What? But she's yeah, because he's communications director. Uh, totally. But CJ um, is, I think, more important to the public than anybody other than Bartlett. She's well. It's funny because all the other people feel like they have to name drop themselves. And, like, she's the only one that doesn't really do that because she knows that everyone already knows who she yeah, is. Yeah, everyone who watches the no- news knows who she is. And she is uh, she is the direct line between the president and the reporters. So she gives out the news. And this is what I find interesting about the press secretary is they give out whatever news the White House finds noteworthy. So it could be something that the White House isn't even involved involved in necessarily. But if it's something that like it feels like the president should be aware of then she makes sure that the press is aware of it too so like um she'll talk about policy a lot and she fields questions about policy and she's got to know how to how to give out information and when it needs to be given out too i think i feel like that's really an oversimplification of what she does though i feel like it's hard to describe without like watching it in action well but she also helps the team with their, like, policy in general, I feel like. She, she does. She is, I mean, she also has, like, political leanings. Everyone in here does. So she does, to an extent, shape policy. She shapes how she tends to, at least in the first seasons, before she gets her, spoiler alert, big promotion later on, she helps look at it from the way the public would see it. She also has to deal with as with a with a category of events that let's call White House silliness. So, oh gosh. <laughs> so the Easter egg roll, the pardoning of the turkey, which is just a wonderful, wonderful episode. Oh man, if you don't watch any other episode. You should definitely, definitely watch the Thanksgiving episode from the second season. There are turkeys in her office, it's wonderful. It's just delightful. Very delightful. Which is, I think, a good description of CJ as a character. Oh, yeah. I think CJ is the one who is the best at friendships of all of the characters. Yeah, everyone wants to be friends with CJ. Yes, and some reporters want to be in relationships with CJ, which is a complicated thing. And I don't necessarily agree with their motivations. But it is a pretty cute storyline when a reporter gets her a goldfish. And then that goldfish is used to... Boy, CJ always gets the animals in the White House. (laughs) She is practical, I think, is the best. She knows how to, like, spin, for sure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time... She still gives it straight. Yeah. She she knows how to, like... I don't want to say hide information because that makes it sound bad. But she knows... How to control the flow of information, I think, is yeah. is better. And it doesn't sound like she's hiding it when she says it. It's like, like you only know because you know what's going on in the show. Mm-hmm. But when you hear her speak, you're like, oh, this is all, all the truth and all I need to know. It feels like. I think, after that extensive discussion, there's there's more to be said about CJ, but it's but, yeah. it's it's hard to do it without just diving. But deep we're into here the lore. for sorting. We're here to sort. And I think CJ is a Hufflepuff. Same. But in a in in a, in the good way. The, is there which, a bad way? There isn't a bad way. This, as we know, What's this podcast is very pro Hufflepuff. No, tell me what the bad Listen, way is. Listen, I'm just saying. In the past, people have just I've seen people dump people in Hufflepuff because they didn't know where they fit. But I think CJ exemplifies the best qualities of Hufflepuff in that 
She's loyal. She's capable. She's hardworking. Like, she's great. I love her. She is the best character on this show. She may not be my favorite character on this show, necessarily. But she is the best character on this show. And she is one of my favorites, if not my number one. Nice. After Claudia Jean Craig, we have my favorite character on this show. Josh Lyman. Josh Lyman. Dear God. Human disaster Josh Lyman. He is the best and the worst and the best and the worst. I just, In that order. The, the second episode, I think his first line after uh, messing with his ex-girlfriend's career. Gosh. Which, to be fair, her career was being made out of opposing the Bartlett White House. But still. His first line is, victory is mine, victory is mine, I've drunk from the keg of glory. Bring me the finest bagels and muffins in all the land. <laughs> which is perhaps one of the biggest cultural contributions of the West House. The, the West, West Wing. House? The West Wing. <laughs> the little West House on the prairie. <laughs> Josh, Josh is introduced... As a guy with his job in peril. Because he really? has... Yeah, because he has just called out the Christian right. Because oh. <laughs> he said... Because uh, he was on Capital Beat, which is their version of, like, the Sunday debate shows. <laughs> um, with Mary Marsh, an evangelical Christian, radical right. And he said... She said something about, you don't believe in any God I pray to, Mr. Lyman. Not any God I pray to. And she says... He says, lady, the God you pray to is busy being indicted for tax fraud. <laughs> he he will poke at anyone and everyone. He has quips. He's got jokes. He loves to rank people. Not always good jokes. A lot of wordplay with Josh. A lot of insults. Um, God, what's the, the really good line of the episode we just watched? Oh, yeah. Tell him he can take his legislative agenda and shove it up his... Well, you, you can fill in the blank there. Um... He is apparently based on Rahm Emanuel, who was a Democratic politician and then the mayor of Chicago, and that's a whole other thing. Not a great mayor of Chicago, but he was known. I think there was a joke at a correspondence dinner how Rahm Emanuel couldn't say anything with, without his... Uh... Oh, yeah. The best way to shut up Rahm Emanuel was to tape his middle fingers down. <laughs> so he's meant to be like a very surly guy who... Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, the uh, Leo McGarry doesn't hold grudges. That's what he, or the president doesn't hold grudges. That's what he pays me for. So Josh is painted kind of as this enforcer in a way. He he is in charge of making sure that Congress does what the president is trying to get them to do. Oh boy, which is a, a heck of a job. I think he also says, "I'm so sick of Congress, I could vomit." Like <laughs> so many iconic lines just from this man. Who is a Gryffindor? I don't think we even need, big surprise. I don't think we even need to discuss it that much. Josh's so much of Josh's heart is his relationships with everyone else. Like he will go to bat for his friends, and his friends will go to bat for him, and he will. He's willing to confront them when he disagrees with them. Him and Toby are cut from that same kind of cloth. I think. Um, it's just that Toby maybe enjoys it a little bit more. Um, Josh also has a tragic backstory. What? His Why sister, 
his sister died in a fire and he didn't save her and he holds himself responsible then for that. He, he goes he to was therapy also younger. and didn't mention it until his like millionth session and his therapist like, I had no No, his idea. therapist didn't say I had uh, no idea. His therapist, his therapist. Oh, he's like, you've never talked about her before. Oh yeah, I guess so. His, he, he has deep-seated trauma and is only traumatized further throughout the season. I mean, that's just the human spirit, okay? Exactly. We're all traumatized. And I think that that's what makes Josh a relatable character because he is, more than any of them, he's the president's surrogate son, I think. That's Charlie! Other than Charlie. We'll get it. But of the senior staff. And he... Definitely a favorite, I would say. Absolutely, he's a favorite of the president. And he, I think, uh, oh, he has that great fight with CJ. And I think the second, that great argument with CJ in the second episode. You mean like every episode? That's fair. <laughs> All right, we sorted him. Let's. We sorted him. We love up? Josh. He's my favorite. After Mr. Lyman, we have a Toby Ziegler. Well, <laughs> Toby. Toby. He's got a tragic uh, life. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Um, his dad was in Crime, Inc. Um, <laughs> his wife is... A, he's, he's already divorced when they start, right? Yeah, his wife is a congresswoman. But then they get back... They don't get back... To, it seems they like they have, have a, a one-night stand and then they have twins. What? <laughs> but then they don't actually get back together, even though he tries to get back together with her. He says... She says, oh, God. It's not that you're angry, Toby. It's just that you're so sad. I think. <laughs> Which Toby is. But still. You, you Do you think Toby's not not the saddest person on the show? Maybe on the show, but I feel like... I'm more upset at his, uh... Andy. The Andy storyline. The line. Andy storyline. Which, uh... Also because Sorkin doesn't know how to write women. Yup. <laughs> That's actually the true theme of this, uh... Show. Yes. Sorkin. You're all welcome. Mm-hmm. I think Toby, um, Toby, I think, is the one who is the least willing to bend in his opinions. He's definitely the most hard-headed in the White House. Yeah. He and Josh. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in different, in different ways. Yeah. Toby has, like, a quiet rage that when he does yell, it's quite something. Oh. Whereas Josh's default mode is yelling. <laughs> Yeah, Toby has a lot that he's keeping from everyone. Toby also has, I think, more than anyone, a superiority complex. Oh. But well, that's actually, but that's, but maybe he, he looks like he has a superiority yeah, complex. Yeah, I think you're misconstruing Definitely masquerading his... as an inferiority complex that he actually yeah. has. Yeah. I think he kind of hates himself. And I think he manifests that by supposedly hitting everybody else. But he did, I mean, he doesn't act mean towards everyone. He acts snappy and short. Well, and there's also the literal line, there's literally no one in the world that I do not hate right now. That is his line. Don't we all say that sometimes? I think we all do. So I think... What is the sad boy house? <laughs> well, no, honestly, I think Toby's a Ravenclaw. Okay, okay. I think... Sure, he's principled, but he's principled because of how much he knows. He's... He really, and he, more than anyone, I think, thinks that you can change people's mind through, like, as the communications director should, he's the one who thinks that the people deserve a higher level of discourse. He's the one who thinks 
the people can handle this. We need to be straightforward. We need to be honest and just try and get their hearts and minds. He's also the one who keeps a big piece of information from CJ. Yes, that's true, but... So when he goes against his guns, it really turns on him? Mm-hmm. I think that he is a Ravenclaw with Gryffindor leanings. Yeah. Absolutely. Pretty much everyone has Every- Gryffindor leanings, if they're not Gryffindor. Because it's that kind of show. Yeah, they're all working towards the same The same goal, cause, yeah. absolutely. Whereas, whereas I see Sam as like a, a Gryffindor with Hufflepuff leanings, Toby's definitely a Ravenclaw with Gryffindor leanings. And I think that makes them uh, a good team because they're able to, well, I mean, it's like you said, these people sharpen each other. They make each other better and force each other to like confront other perspectives. Who's next? Well... It's Miss Donatella Moss. Uh. Donatella Moss is Josh's assistant. There are a lot of assistants on the show. Uh, the most qualified assistant in the world. <laughs> well, the best assistant. She maybe, remember, she lied about her resume to get the job. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? She, yeah. What did she lie about? Um, she says that she has experience. She does not. Oh, what? The campaign That's what office. everyone does. But the entire thing, Donna, especially in the first season, is kind of a viewer surrogate. Yeah, like an inside look, kind mm-hmm. of. She's the person who you who is always asking what's actually going on going in the episode. On, yeah. And then Josh gets to tell Donna about the issue that they're focusing on. Mm-hmm. So she stands in that way. But that's a good that's a really good device without having to fully explain something. You don't have to be there for every single piece of the action. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly expositionless exposition because it's but still very much. But we shouldn't exposition. be using a young, attractive woman as a device. And that's the problem with it. Thanks, Sorkin. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, we really brought an agenda to this. Donna becomes. Uh, she's. I think she's a recurring character, or credited as like a recurring character throughout <gasps> the first season. What? But I think she's. No. I think she's added to she's the. Uh, always a main character. She's added to the credits. I think in the second season. And oh, good. she absolutely is a main character, and she deserves to be a main character. A lot of the show is sustained by her will-they-won't-they they with Josh, which really starts to develop in the second season, I think. Yeah, it's not as fun in the first season. You're like, why Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. They really could have buttered up their like working relationship first. She eventually goes on to be a main um, advisor in a campaign running against a campaign that Josh is running, which is, I think, her way of saying, I can't just be in your shadow anymore. You're not You're not really going to see me as someone who gets to substantively contribute to policy until I do this. And then she does. And she loses, but becomes, like, probably the most successful person to come out of that campaign, too. Well, yeah. I mean, no campaign advisor has never not lost. Like, everyone has to lose first. Except for Bartlett. Bartlett's never lost an election in his life. Well, that's great for him. <laughs> uh, Donna becomes more substantive as it goes on. At first, in the first season, I think she almost like falls into like dumb blonde tropes somewhat, which is yeah kind of messy. But <laughs> wonder who wrote the other seasons. <laughs> but the thing is, she's a very sincere character. Yeah, which I think I like about her a lot. And 
she also moves the plot along a lot too. She, uh, her, her uh, communications with other assistants in the West Wing tend to uh, bring more information to the main characters, and like she'll like talk to Josh, and Josh will tell the president, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, Donna, I think. Well, let me hear your let me hear your take. What do you think? House. House. Yeah. Mm, Hufflepuff. I'm with you on that, because Donna is hardworking. Very loyal to Josh yeah. until until she no longer can be, essentially. Yeah. But then goes back and works with him on the campaign after that, too. Like, loyal to the president, loyal to everyone in the White House, I think. Donna is... Friend to all. Yes. All right, I think we have one more, right? We and have the... two more. We have two what? more, but it's the big you one added. right here. You add... Oh, oh, I... <laughs> I'm realizing now. You are realizing. Who I've left out. And you feel bad about it, I'm sure. Yeah, because it's uh, the head honcho himself. <laughs> didn't forget Charlie. You didn't forget Charlie. Nope. But you forgot. The main. <laughs> Josiah Bartlett, the president of the United States of America. God, perhaps. Jed to his friends. Literally, though, because the, his first line is, I am the Lord thy, thy God, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. Wow. Which is... An iconic entrance line. So the way the show was originally written, Bartlett wasn't even supposed to appear. But then they hired Martin Sheen and they were like, actually, let's let him be a main character that shows up in every episode. That's what I'm talking about. Martin Sheen is the heart of the show. He's so good. I love him. Bartlett is, well, obviously he's the president. What do you want to say about Bartlett? He's great. <laughs> I don't know. What can you say about Bartlett? It's hard to describe him because he's just this, like, he he's what everyone, like, dreams the president would be, commanding, but, like, knowledgeable and fair to, like, literally everyone. Like, he's, he's kind of how we've idealized. Well, I was going to say Roosevelt, but that's not. I would say Roosevelt. I would say He's partway between, like, Roosevelt and Kennedy. He def- The voice is definitely based on Kennedy, you know? But, like, something even more commanding than either one of those. Like, I, um, I wouldn't go as far as Lincoln, but... <laughs> uh, his background is that he is a Nobel Prize laureate in economics. So he's a, he's a smarty-pants president. Yeah, but how do you get the one in economics? Like, it's not like you can invent something to, like, well, fix people. Actually, it's so... It's specifically in, like, economic theory. So, like, you... It's basically... Publish a paper? <laughs> you propose, like, a new theory or or, or figure oh, out, like, on. a new system or something like that. Economics is actually really mm. nuanced in, in ways... That, People assume that economics is the stock market. It's not. No. The stock market's the stock market. Yeah, but like, what good is a theory gonna do for everyone? The, the the thing is, economics is not an exact science because it's based on. It's not science. <laughs> well, it's based on like it's applied sociology, basically, which is with numbers. It's messy, but it's pretty cool to look at the way that economies work. I can't believe they give a Nobel. I was almost an that. economics major. I was technically for yeah. the first year and a half, and then I decided I didn't hate myself that much. Cool. Bartlett <laughs> is a dad. 
He has three daughters. He's America's dad. He is America's dad. He has three daughters, only one of which plays a major role in the show, though the other two do have their own little episodes and plot lines. Um, he is married to Stalker Channing. She's wonderful. Playing Abby Bartlett. What, I mean... He's... How... It's hard to describe him, isn't it? Like, you yeah. you did a really good job. Leo's, he just kind of, like, feels... <laughs> He inspires you. Yeah. He's a very well-written character. Like, Mm -hmm. I guess Martin's really the one who's doing the heavy lifting, but... (laughs) Martin Sheen's performance makes him feel alive. It makes him feel real. Yeah. You know? And it it makes you wish he was your president. Yeah. (laughs) And he is 100% Ravenclaw. Oh, Oh, no! No! Bartlett is a Ravenclaw. Do you count the Bible as an academic source? He leans Gryffindor, but he's Ravenclaw. Okay. Bartlett, he, at the poker games, he's quizzing his senior staff. <laughs> he, he holds them hostage by sh- imparting all of his knowledge about the national parks on them. Bartlett I, is, I can't relate to that at all. Bartlett is a definitive, he's an economist. Like, he's a 100% a Ravenclaw. Yeah, yeah. Make your Gryffindor argument. He will do whatever it takes to make America the best place that you can live in. Well, I would argue that he's a Hufflepuff at the same time. But he makes such big, courageous, like, uh, movements with other people to try and, like, have things go the... So sure, he sometimes acts on like that and like his instincts. He's kind of impulsive. He is a little bit impulsive. I think about two cathedrals as a good example. Oh of that, man! Which all-time TV episode? Let's mm, like top ten TV episodes ever. But at the same time, okay, something we they talk about a lot on Sorted that JD and Alex have talked about is a lot of it is about what you value and like what you see as your. Sometimes it's like what you see as your greatest strength. And I think that he sees his knowledge and his intellect as his greatest strength. And I think that he sees that, expects that in those around him. Fair. And expects that from his daughter as well. And I just think about... Oh boy, don't don't even start with what he expects of Zoe. I think, well, I think about the the carving knife, you know? (laughs) Man. How he knows all these stats and everything. About each of these knives that he sends Charlie to go get. But is that a value or like an inherent but like, at the same quality? T- well, because I-, I would say that like I value knowledge above anything else, but I might not be the most like. But at the same time, Mrs. Landingham person. literally calls him a know-it-all a couple uh, of times. Mrs. Landingham. I think, I think he's a Ravenclaw. I think he leans Gryffindor sometimes, but I think his dominant personality trait. Is that of a Ravenclaw? Leo literally calls him a geek in the first episode. Gosh. <laughs> a word you don't hear anymore. <laughs> Alright. You're settled on you're settled on Ravenclaw? Yeah, yeah. I've been the, the last of the main sortings. Charlie Young. Charlie Charlie is Best boy. a pure boy. A wonderful boy. 
He is the president's body man. Essentially, his personal assistant helps manage his schedule day to day. He didn't even want the job. Came in for a different interview. And then was, They held him against his will, and they were like, you're doing this because you're a like, good boy. Yeah, they picked his resume out. They were like, you'd be great for this. You'll be wonderful. He <laughs> Also, the most g- liberal fantasy thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> makes a great impression on the president in like the first episode. By, fu- by figuring out where his reading glasses are right before he makes, like, a super important announcement on national TV. <laughs> um, and becomes very, very close with the president. Mm. And becomes very, very close with the president's daughter. My date with the president's daughter. My date with her. Man. It's... He's a pretty compelling character because unlike just about everybody else, he does not come from privilege. Yeah. So he often provides, like, and, well, you know, he's the only black main character, too, played by Dulé Hill. Okay, so maybe so this is... A lot of the, I, so I see the neoliberal part of A little this. bit. He's He can be tokenized sometimes, but I think the show, like, tries to do a good job of being, like, they don't necessarily always come to him for, like, the black perspective on something. Right, like, which I would like be not A lot of shows either. have done. They, But uh, they tend to come at him for, like, the working class perspective, though. So you've been on the street. Can you tell us? Uh, your mom is a cop and she was shot. What do you think about... <laughs> oh, I think that he is a well-sketched character. He becomes more and more well-rounded as the series goes on. Eventually going to work at like the White House Counsel's office. He's great. Yeah. I love him. He is a Hufflepuff. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Because he's... Lo- I mean... Not even a leaner. Not just, he's just it's a not just that. It's not just that his job is to be loyal to the president. He he goes, like, above and beyond to, like, serve at the pleasure of the president, as everyone, as everyone on the show does. And I think he's very protective of the people who he cares about, of his sister, of uh, the people in the White House, mm-hmm. of Zoe, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And... He's a Hufflepuff. Like, it's it's not even that much to discuss. Okay, that was eight characters that we just spent about 35 minutes on. Wow. Which is why the next round will be very expedient. It will be the lightning bolt round. Abby Bartlett. Ravenclaw. Zoe Bart. Uh, oh, uh, I guess we should just say a sentence. She's the president's wife, the first lady. She's a doctor. She's great. Zoe Bartlett, the president's daughter. Hufflepuff. Ooh, interesting take. Gryffindor. I think I would. I would go Gryffindor, Gryffindor, but we'll stick with Hufflepuff. Gryffindor. Will Bailey. He is a speechwriter that takes over Sam's job. He's a Slytherin. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Ainsley Hayes. Ravenclaw. I know what you were thinking. You were thinking of Gryffindor. I I think I was. But I think that she really, like, she thinks intellectually about things and not just, like, she's not the typical Republican that has, like, the party agenda. Absolutely. Which is why I like her And you can tell in the way she talks. Yeah. John Hoynes. John Hoynes is a Slytherin. Who is he? He is the first vice president. And he, oh. he is 
he's a Slytherin who I think leads Gryffindor because he, he does like have convictions. He looks like a Southern evangelist. Like. Evangelical. But at the same time, he very much cares about his own political career. Mrs. Landingham. Uh, Hufflepuff. Yeah, 100%. My grandma. She's the main secretary to the president. Margaret. Leo's assistant. She is a Hufflepuff. I hate yeah. that all the assistants are Hufflepuffs, but it's well, just they're, the, they're way they're the way they're written. The way they're written. Joey Lucas. The oh, deaf pollster Ravenclaw. played by Marley Matlin. Ravenclaw. Yeah. Oh, love her. And she's on Switch to Proof. <laughs> uh, Bob Russell. Bingo Bob, the second vice president. Played by a guy... I always forget his name, but he's also in uh, Veep. And uh, he plays the uh, pollster in that one. Gut Instinct. He's a Slytherin. But he's almost like an accidental Slytherin. He kind of like stumbles into power. <laughs> Kate Harper. Hmm. I think Ravenclaw. You think Ravenclaw? Yeah. Yeah. I, I maybe would have gone Gryffindor because of her military background, but also I think Ravenclaw makes more sense. I'm wondering if Ravenclaw is more military at this point. Mm, who knows? Well, what, what she did specifically, though. Yeah. She was a... a liaison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt Santos. Matt Santos. Uh... Jimmy Smits, the presidential candidate. What's his house? His house is Gryffindor. You keep stalling. <laughs> because I, it takes a second. Mm-hmm. Arnie Vinnick. The, Gryffindor. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. He he is... Um, he's the Republican candidate in the Santos election. <laughs> like, the, And he's played like, by Alan Alda, is like which is the, such a get. The coolest election in history where, like... <laughs> You're like, oh Honestly, no, who should I root for? It, it kind of predicted Obama McCain a little bit. Except, well, no, even down to the bad vice presidential candidate on the Republican <laughs> side. Yeah. Okay. Oliver Babish. The White House Council, the second White House Council in the run of the show, introduced by swinging a bat at a recording device after the first lady <laughs> confesses to a crime. He's a Gryffindor. Boy. <laughs> and then finally. Oh. You're so mean for giving me this one. Well, this is one that we can discuss together. Okay. She's the last one. Last on this list. Last in our hearts. <laughs> a one-season character who they could never get to work in the writing. Number 114. 113, actually, because they <gasps> oh. wrote every character. And there was one character who was slightly worse than her. Mandy. Mandy is an art history major who is just a mean person. That would never happen. She is... They'd be stuck in a gallery not She doing this was nonsense. a media advisor and political consultant on the campaign who didn't get a job in the White House and then decided, well, you know what? I'm going to find someone to primary Bartlett in the next election. They put her out of business, then hire her again, which is, I guess, to get some like tension, sexual tension with Josh because they used to date. I don't know what the heck is wrong it's, with this. It's, she's so poorly Worse written. written woman. She's typically... Around so that she can annoy the other characters, mm-hmm. get be the bad guy, and yeah. like I, I think she could have been a good character. Cool, yeah. She could have been really cool, 
Because she, but it's like they Sorkin keep, she in, kept harping on how young she was, too. It's like Sorkin endeavored to make her annoying. Okay, it's lightning. We're going to say which house we think she is on. One, two, three. Slytherin. Slytherin. Yay! Hey! And that is the West Wing. Pew, pew, pew. Sorted. So, now that we've got that, it's time to sort it out, baby. This is the new segment that they <gasps> new have. New segment alert. Where we try and figure out how we can improve oh, Harry Potter. Done. So, I have I have my pitch, but I want to hear yours first. No, you do yours first. Do mine first? Yeah. Okay. So, because we're home viewing, I think it oh, would no. be good if we were to look at the movies. So, I have my soft pitch, which was you should have given Alfonso all of them. But... Alfonso Cuaron. That's not he really. He should have made a... all of them, but that's that's not. That's even that pretty hard. low. This is this is my hard pitch. I think that eight movies was too many for the mainline series. I think that there are multiple eras of Harry Potter that are worth exploring, and I think the way to do that is to do three trilogies. You oh, have. Oh dear God. You have the Outside Fantastic. Of... No, this is in place of. This is in place. So you have the Fantastic Beast trilogy. You have the Marauders trilogy, which we all want. Uh, and you have the Harry Potter trilogy. I don't think now, a trilogy's enough. Now the thing. Hold on, you haven't heard my whole pitch. Okay. My whole pitch yet. Now I think rather than having giant classes of students, young wizards should be mentored one on one by older wizards, perhaps. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it just makes sense that they choose, the, the wand choosing the wizard. I think there's, like, more poignancy if, say, the wizard goes on a quest to find the core for their wand and then builds their wand themselves. And, you know, you know really? what I think, I think the, 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 the magic is missing? I think it's missing, like, a good dosage of, like, Zen Buddhism and Campbell, Campbellian mythology. Wow. And you know what I think is a little bit uh-huh. cooler than a wand is maybe, like, a mm-hmm. sword made of light. Wow. What I'm saying is that you improve Harry Potter by making it Star Wars. No. Yes. No. That's how you improve you know Harry what's, Potter. You know what's pretty much didn't work for Star Wars? What? The whole second trilogy. <laughs> you take the prequel's name out your mouth. Yeah, and throw it in the trash can. No! <laughs> Except Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor can stay. <laughs> Uh, you and McGregor can stay. That's the name of your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> how, good. how would you improve the Harry Potter trilogy? All right. Stick with me here. Sticking okay. with you. So you know we have our traditional four houses. I said trilogy. It's a series. Yes, four houses. Keep going. Not enough. It's Not enough. pretty basic, right? So we add another house. And what's this house? Fox house. <laughs> it's the cut. <laughs> no, that's the mascot. Wait, what? Hmm. What could we name it? Hmm. Hmm. Clever clogs. Clever clogs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's everyone who values a. They value cunningness above everything else. Isn't. But it's not Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw's Slytherin. Intellect. Slytherin values. No, cunning. Slytherin values being a meanie butt. <laughs> House hot take, all Slytherins are meanie butts. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In- no, I would say Slytherin is... Um, it's more ambition than cle- it really cleverness. Is. It really is, but they do specifically call out cunning. But wouldn't the, wouldn't the fox look super cute? 
Yes, a fox would look super I cute. I think we need another cute, fuzzy animal. Okay. House color purple, if I didn't already say that. That's that's a take. It is certainly a take, and it is now on the record. Sorted is a member of the Pocket Podcast Network, which we're also members of on our other podcast, Home Viewing. This has uh, been part of the show swap, so you can, if you want to hear JD and Alex, they're talking about Back to the Future on the Home Viewing feed this week. Definitely yeah. worth a listen. Their theme music is the House of Awesome theme by Matt Giacomo. I hope I said that name right. Me too. <laughs> oh, Matt Magicomo of oh. the Whomping Willows. Oh. Um, there are lots of other shows on the network. There's yeah. my other show, Them's the Facts. There's No Dice. Green There's Mountain Mystery. Cool Tank. And everybody is hosting a different show this yeah. month oh, for the and show swap. One of our newer shows, Cult Classics. Yes, Cult Classics is a lot of a fun. fun time. Uh, I hosted that with the Them's the Facts boys. Oh boy. And we made, frankly, we were supposed to make a bad horse movie. So. We kind of did that in that we didn't make a horse movie. We made a Pegasus movie. So definitely you cheated. be on the lookout for that. Now you can follow this podcast on Twitter at SortedPod. That's Sorted, P-O-D. And uh, you should tweet at them. There's 114 named West Wing characters. I'm pretty sure they neither of them have seen the West Wing. So let's make their day a little bit more fun. Tweet at them your favorite West Wing character that we didn't sort. Or tweet at them acts of Congress, and they can sort those. What what West Wing related thing do you think they should sort? Um, because I'm thinking carving knives. Oh wow! There's there's just lots of stuff that you can have them sort. Tweet it at sorted pod. Foreign ambassadors. If you want to follow <laughs> us, you can do it at home viewing pod on Twitter, and you can tweet West Wing characters at us, and we'll definitely sort them. For sure. So, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, check out Show Swap. And you know what? The other thing that you should tweet, you should have us sort Obama-era government officials. I'll start. I don't have anything. I don't have one. <laughs> you know what? Rahm Emanuel. Garbage house. Start a new house and it's called awesome. Start a new house, it's called awesome. Start a new house and it's called awesome. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket. Cinema's hottest podcast is home viewing. What are you doing? This show has everything. Please stop. Blu rays, DVDs. Dog sounds, guest this episodes. This isn't working. But you know what does work? Discussing our entire film library week by week in alphabetical order. <sighs> I'm John. And I'm Bethany. And this is Home Viewing. Wednesdays on the Pocket Podcast Network. <laughs> <laughs>